Good morning. Uh, this morning's scripture reading comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 to 27. Uh, you can follow along in your own Bibles if you wish, or uh, looking up on the screen. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Well, hello, everyone. Hello. Yeah, I've been trying to figure out, like, what, you know, I already said good morning, right? So what am I supposed to say when you come up a second time? Anyway. Hi again. Let's say hi again. Hi again. Hi, hi again. Hello. Mm. Well, you guys know my name already. Normally I get to do music uh, here and lead in worship, but today I get to preach. I love, I love preaching. Um, started preaching when I was 13. I was a kid, and it was a passion of mine. But can we give a hand uh, to the worship team this morning? Can we do that? They were great. And especially like Damien and Greg Boffman, right? Greg, who's sitting over there? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Greg is just, you're a freshman, right? He's a freshman in high school. Just killing the blues. It's awesome. Uh, I just, before we jump into the sermon, I just wanted to do one more quick announcement. The coffee cart is now open. Uh, for those who have been curious, there's kind of been, there was this like mysterious uh, season where we were having some technical difficulties and we kind of shut down for a while, but it's now open. And I want to uh, give you a proposition. For the next three to four months, uh, I'm asking you to forego your normal Starbucks or your normal I don't drink coffee, whatever. Uh, and the reason why is that uh, all the proceeds that happen out of that place in the cafe uh, is going to be going towards our youth for chick. And we want to support them. And so whether you want to pay $2 or $20 for your Americano, by all means, give away. You really can't outgive uh, the opportunity to support our, our kids to have such a transformative moment. Chick, for those of you who don't know, it doesn't happen every year. It's like every like three years, I believe it is, and uh, four years, three, three years, Matthew, three years. Uh, and it's a really, really, really transformative experience. It happens at the um, University of Tennessee in Knoxville, so there's all these things, and we want to support them. And, and the product back there is good. When, when Nick was here, he was very intentional. We have Monin syrups, and I don't know of any cafe that serves Monin syrups. We had to specially find them somewhere. Um, we have Stumptown beans, you know, which everyone knows Stumptown. They're very, very big. Uh, and the espresso machine that we have, the only other cafe that uses that particular machine is Cafe Ladro in Issaquah. So we're not, we're not messing around here at Pine Lake Covenant Church. So, you know... Get your coffee, support our youth, it's a good, good thing. Uh, we are currently in a sermon series called Change is Possible, and each week we've been exploring the idea of transformation. And so far, Pastor Mark has been teaching us that, that change is possible, right? That through the story of the prodigal son, there's never a moment, there's never a person who falls into such a state of desperation that God cannot redeem them. Whatever situation we find ourselves in, God can bring transformation in our lives. And then last week, we talked about, well, how, how does that happen? How does that process happen? And, and he shared with us the idea that our hearts become what we love, in a sense. That if we uh, pursue idols and love idols and make them anything other than God, the center of our lives, and we become like those things, dead and lifeless. But if we place God in the center of all things, then we find life and truth. 
this idea of change is possible is something that I've been thinking about, and we're going to kind of explore it in a different kind of an angle. Um, and I was doing some research for this sermon. Uh, I was, this is from Statistics Brain. It's a research site. And uh, they conducted this, this study in January, and this is what they found. They found that every year people make New Year's resolutions. It's one of the reasons why we did the series, right? Right around New Year, change is possible. And they found that 41% of Americans usually make New Year's resolutions. Now, 9% are people who actually feel like they were successful. I think the wording is interesting, right? That they feel like they were successful. <laughs> were you successful? I think I was successful, right? What's even more interesting is that 42% of people report, this was an online survey that they did, that they never succeed that they fail every single year at their New Year's resolutions, right? Uh, It's such an interesting number, 42%. And locally, uh, my wife and I, we shop at Trader Joe's. It's one of the places that we go to. And she was, you know, there shopping for different things. And she heard two people talking about wine sales at Trader Joe's. So it turns out that in January, the wine sales decline significantly. There's a pause because people are making all these resolutions to not drink so much wine. Well, uh, only after like 16 days, wine sales are back to normal at Trader Joe's. We are good. <laughs> the wine is flowing. Yes, uh, for Sammamish, that's how it works. Uh, so <laughs> she heard two colleagues talking about that. Like, I, they, I think they made a bet. I think one said it was going to be like around 15. The other said 20. So anyways, uh, it's an interesting thing, right? We all want to change, but change is difficult. Now, resolutions are one thing. Habits, waking up early, drinking more water, you know, sleeping more. All of those things, those are, those are one thing. But, but what about changes that involve our character? Those resolutions that, that we aspire to that say we want to be more loving or more caring, more kind or more patient. Right? Some of you who've tried to do these things understand you know that those resolutions are more difficult. Even the statistics show And these changes are more difficult because they don't just require behavior modification or an alarm on our phone that tells us to do something. They require an inner transformation, transformation of our inner beings, our souls. The transformation of our inner beings is a long and arduous journey. It's not one that is easy at all. But the good news this morning is that change is possible. I sincerely believe with all my heart that Jesus died and resurrected so that we could experience life and life to the fullest. Yes, eternal life, one day we go to heaven, but, but not just for then, but for right now. And that transformation affects us. It affects the way we work, the way we live, the way we love. It affects our families, our communities, our friendships. It affects everything about who we are. Christianity is not just a moral system that makes us into outstanding citizens or good little boys and girls or good men and women, but it is one in which the divine life of Christ is made apparent within our very own lives. That is the promise. That is the resurrection power of Christ. Right? So that we are people who have more joy, more love, more hope. All of these things. Now, I don't have to tell you, but Christians, myself included, struggle with living into that life. And so how do we experience that change? How does that process of change actually take place? Well, Jesus taught in parables. Um, parables are basically stories that had a deeper significant meaning. And so this morning, I want to share with you a parable. Okay? This is J.D.'s parable. And this is not in the Bible. 
Don't try to find it. It doesn't exist anywhere. I made it up. Um, but I think it will help us kind of understand uh, what this is like. And normally when Jesus started parables, he said, you know, the kingdom of heaven is like la, 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 la. So when it comes to the process of change, the kingdom of heaven is like JD trying to lose weight. All right, let me explain. Now, back in college, Sarah and I uh, started dating, and at that point in time, we kind of looked something like this. Oh, I know. Glowing with the vibrancy of youth, right? Oh. Uh, and so we dated for three years. Uh, two of those years we were dating, one year we were engaged, and, you know, we were young and beautiful, and my hairline was not as far back as it is now, and... Uh, yeah, Sarah's still young and beautiful and all those things, of course. Um, but what's interesting is that uh, I, I, was, I was a guy who like, was very active. I was in the gym till like 1 a.m. playing basketball every day and uh, was kind of very fit, you know? Well, in my college years uh, and during the time we were dating, I transferred from the University of Texas uh, to a school in Cleveland, Tennessee called Lee University. It's in the southeast part of our country. Uh, and while I was there, I developed a relationship that kind of affected my life. And it was, it was with something that looked like this. <laughs> Cracker Barrel, okay, a.k.a. Heaven on Earth, okay? Me and Cracker Barrel, we have a special thing going on. All right? I love Cracker Barrel uh, profoundly. Okay? There's something about the fact that it serves breakfast all day. Right? Something about the fact that you can have biscuits or cornbread. Right? You can get jam or honey. And, and you, know, you, you can get like, um, a meal with all your country fixings. Right? You can't, it's not fixings. There's no G. You've got to get that right. And, and no one drinks water at Cracker Barrel. I don't even know why they ask, because you have to drink the sweet tea while you're there. And the sweet tea is like three times sweet than any other sweet tea you'll find anywhere else, because it's Cracker Barrel. The country store, all of it, I love it. Now, my favorite dish at Cracker Barrel is this dish right here. Chicken fried chicken, okay? This, man, this, this is, this is, this is, this is, uh, it's amazing, right? I mean, it's so amazing that the word chicken is twice in the title. Chicken fried chicken. Right? But here it is. You get chicken fried chicken with country gravy or sawmill gravy as they call it. I, I really know Cracker Barrel. Uh, and then you have your three fixings there. Now I prefer like hash brown casserole, their chicken and dumplings, and I like their turnip greens, which were collard greens, but they changed them a few years ago. Sarah likes the okra, but they're too slimy for me. Okay, look, I love Cracker Barrel. And when I was in college, I went once a week at least. Sometimes multiple times a week. And I didn't drink water, I drank sweet tea, and this was kind of a thing. And of course, as you can imagine, my relationship with Cracker Barrel and other southern food resulted in me gaining about 20 pounds, 20 to 25, depending on which scale I was stepping on. Right? When I got married, I was 25 pounds heavier than when I met Sarah when we were dating. And I made a promise to her. I said, honey, you know, we were doing that thing where we're like, we're taking pictures at the wedding, and she's like, I'm working now, I'm running to get my dress and look pretty, and I'm like... I'm going to do it with you. I'm going to lose that weight. I promise I will lose the weight before our wedding day. And guess what? Didn't happen. Okay? Then I said, okay, you know what? It's cool. We're married now. You love me. You accept me. We're good, right? I'm going to promise that I'll lose in this first year of marriage. Guess what? Didn't happen. Right? Then I said, oh, okay, okay, okay. First year, you know, it's hard because, I mean, marriage, right? I mean, so how about year five? By year five, I'll change. Right? And so I said, um, 
by year five, I'll change. You know, I think I've learned how to be a better human being and a better husband. Now, now I get it. Now I figured myself out. And after five years, did I lose the weight? No, didn't happen. Then I said, I'll do it before year 10, right? Before a 10-year anniversary. Did I lose the weight? No. Then I said, I'll do it before we had our first kid. And did I lose the weight? No. I still have not lost that weight. Now, I know many of you are like, dude, what are you talking about? You're so skinny. No, no, I'm skinny fat is what I am, okay? All right? That is a real thing. You can Google it later, but if you were to look at my BMI and the constitution of my body and the proportion of muscle muscle to fat and all that stuff, muscular, I can't even talk straight, you would understand that I have this, this weight that I've been carrying around and I haven't lost it. I haven't lost it, right, this whole time. Now, it's not like I haven't tried. If Sarah were here, she would tell you that I have. I've tried several things, right? At first I thought, well, maybe Sarah's love will just make the fat melt away. <laughs> Somehow, you know, this romantic relationship we're now walking into will just change me into Brad Pitt from Fight Club. You know, that's like the image you have. Didn't happen. Then I thought, well, maybe I'll just have a positive mindset, right? I just, I just need to like, I'm healthy, I'm healthy. Just keep on telling yourself you're healthy, Right? law of attraction or whatever, you know, just try whatever. I'm, I'm healthy, I'm healthy. That, that doesn't do anything. You just walk around talking to yourself, right? Didn't work for me, that positive mindset. I tried crash diets, right? I went paleo for a season. I did the primal thing, right? And, and, I, and, I, and I couldn't try the whole, like, uh, what is that coffee that you put butter in, you know, that's part of, you know what I'm talking about? I just, yeah, bullet, the bullet diet, bulletproof diet or bullet diet, whatever it's called. I I just couldn't do that, but, but I, I, I tried those and kind of worked for a period of time. I did intense workout programs. I did P90X, right? And I lost, I, like, I lost like maybe like close, close to 20, but then I gained it back, right? After time. And so it just kind of like went great and then it failed. And then after time, I just thought, you know, it'll, it'll just get better. I'm sure it'll get better. Even though I'm getting older, even though I'm eating more unhealthy, delicious foods as I travel around the world with my wonderful wife, uh, even though I don't have time to take care of my body, I'm sure that somehow my body will get better. No, it didn't get better. Not at all. Now, what does this have to do with spiritual transformation? And how does my story relate to the transformation of our inner beings? Look, this passage of scripture that we read this morning is a very familiar one. We all know it. Paul is writing to the believers in the church of Corinth. And he's revealing to them a very important truth about the process of spiritual change. Right, the verse says this, right? Do you not know that in a race all runners run the race, but only one gets the prize? So run in such a way to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Now, at first glance, you might think he's talking about physical conditioning. The language is so prevalent, right? Runners running a race, right? The idea of like the, the Olympic trials or the Isthmian Games is what they were called in that period of time, history uh, with Corinth and all that stuff, and them getting a wreath, boxers beating the air. But in actuality, as many of us know, Paul is talking about spiritual training. He's talking about gaining an eternal crown of glory that doesn't fade. He's talking about not being disqualified himself after he preaches. He was going around telling people, look, the old has passed away and all is new. You are free from the law. There's freedom of Christ. The divine life of Jesus is made alive in you. 
You can't help but read Colossians 1 to 3 and kind of freak out when you realize that Christ is bringing all things into himself. And these jars of clay that Paul writes right later in one of his letters are filled with glory. He's like, I don't want to be disqualified. And, And here's the lesson. If we could boil it down to a sentence, this is the one I want you to remember. The process of change for our souls, much like our physical bodies, requires training and discipline. The process of change for our souls, much like our physical bodies, requires training and discipline. Look, I failed to lose the weight I gained all those years because I lacked proper training and discipline. And many of us, when we ask ourselves, why are we not spiritually growing? Why is my character not changing? Why is my inner life not becoming filled with the image of Christ? It's because we approach it the same way I did my weight loss. Some of us say, you know, God's love is just going to change us. His love just overpowers me. It's just going to change me. God's love will change you. When we are saved, it's like we're, we're reconstituted and rebuilt. Have you ever wondered, though, in the Gospels, when Jesus uh, gives redemption and grace to someone, he always tells them, go and sin no more. Have you wondered that? Why would Jesus say that? If they were now completely whole and never going to sin again. See, that's not how salvation works. If you've been a Christian for a while, you know you still struggle with the habits and the brokenness. And so God's love changes us to a part. There's, there's something about this transformation process that's kind of more like a divine dance. There's God's part and our part. Some of us think we could have a positive mindset, right? right? More joy, more grace, more happiness. Just think that way and it will come. And some, some of us, I'm not negating faith because I'll talk about faith later. Faith is important. It is true that those things will come. But if I, if I just speak to my body and say, fat be released, health be restored, and I'm eating McDonald's every day, it's not going to happen. There's something that has to uh, go in concert with those declarations, right? So a positive mindset just doesn't work. Sometimes we try crash programs, right? I'm going to fast for 40 days. I'm going to do the Daniel fast. I'm going to go intense. Those things don't work. They do for a season. And then we return to our old habits. And then, most dangerously, we think that somehow our spiritual health, our spiritual well-being will get better with time. If we just kind of, you know, if I go to church and if I'm in a life group and if I read the Bible and pray, just, it's going to rub off on me. Somehow my soul's going to get better. I'm going to become more loving, you know. But then we find that, you know, we do nothing and we end up overestimating our spiritual health and it gets worse. We aren't any more loving or patient or kind or joyful than we were when we started all those years ago. Look, I'm, I'm not, I'm preaching to me. <laughs> not casting judgment on anyone. Uh, now I know this next thing I'm going to say is going to be a little controversial, but I have to say it, okay? Uh, we know that in the world of sports, all the best athletes, training and discipline are the keys to their success, okay? Um, we can talk about like, LeBron James or Michael Jordan, Larry Bird. I, I'm basketball, so I love those guys. And everyone will tell you, no one trained like Kobe did. No one trains like Jordan did. Uh, I, I have to mention this, but uh, my team, I know they're not your team, but the New England Patriots are playing in the AFC Championship uh, in about 30 minutes. And uh, it's on my heart, because uh, they're my team. What can I say? And here's the amazing thing. I know that 
Tom, you may not think Tom Brady's great, and I know you think he's a cheater and he's a wimp and all of those things. Uh, my colleagues in the office have reminded me multiple times about those labels that have been attached to him. Um, but here's the thing. Tom Brady, by numbers, just by numbers, is arguably the greatest quarterback of all time. He's won the most. He really has. He's passing crazy records. And the guy is 40 years old playing in the AFC Championship. He wasn't even drafted. He was drafted like last, I think. Like, and, and out of college, he was like fifth in the lineup. I mean, his story is crazy. But, but, it, but a few years ago, he changed his whole training regimen that allowed him to go. He changed the way he ate. He went to a low-inflammation diet, cut out all carbs, right? He, he sleeps like a ridiculous amount of time. He's very like religious about sleep. He changed the way he worked out. Instead of lifting weights like every other football player does on this planet, he decided to start using bands, right? The idea was that instead of being strong and having to throw your muscles, he wanted to make his arm like rubber, more elastic, more flexible. And the dude's 40, playing potentially, maybe, if we can beat Jacksonville and get into the Super Bowl, for record-breaking, again, sixth possible Super Bowl win. I mean, it's crazy. It's training and discipline. It's what he does every single day. Everyone knows this, right? The greatest athletes perform on the highest stages because of what they do every single day. Similarly, if you look in our church's history, our most influential spiritual leaders, the ones who made the most significant waves, whether you're talking about the Great Awakening or you're talking about the Reformation or any other period in our history, these people trained their souls. They spent time with God and they lived their lives with an incredible discipline in their spirits. They allowed the Spirit of God to transform who they are. Is it possible to change? Yes, of course it is. I believe that. I absolutely believe that. Uh, Jesus died so that we can experience new life. And so this is what I want to do for the rest of our time together. I want to give to you four practices that I think you can implement into your spiritual life, your spiritual rhythms, your soul training regimen. Now, some of you may say, I'm good. I read the Bible. I have my own thing. That's cool. If it's working for you, by all means, do that. But if you're someone who's like, I want to experience this inner life transformation, here are four that I want to offer to you. Now, I'm going to give a quick disclaimer. The practices in and of themselves do not work. Okay? Just because you read the Bible, just because you pray, just because you come to church, does not mean that you're going to become a righteous person, you're going to become more like Jesus. It doesn't work that way. Right? The, the, most of the Bible is about a group of people who are trying to follow some 600 plus religious laws, and they completely miss it. Right? We're not talking about creating a works-based righteousness, or I'm not trying to make it more oppressive. We're not talking about a sense of legalism here, Right? The practices are designed to create space in your daily rhythm so you can invite God to come in and change your heart. Now, the other disclaimer connected to this is that faith is the catalyst and the activator of this process. If you don't believe in spiritual realities, that we have a soul, if you don't believe that God can speak to you and act in your life, that the Holy Spirit can come change your heart, I guess my first immediate question is, well, why, why are you here? <laughs> uh, that's what this is all about. We believe that we can experience new life through Jesus, and the Holy Spirit can change us. And so these practices are ways of creating space uh, where we're inviting God to come and change us because he's the only one who can. So the first practice I want to offer to you is contemplative prayer. Contemplative prayer. 
Now, there are many different kinds of prayer, intercessory prayer, corporate prayer, early dawn prayer, out loud prayer, but I want to offer this practice of contemplative prayer. Contemplative prayer is usually prayer that's prayed, uh, practiced in silence. It's more meditative. And in that silence, as you're sitting there, uh, you're kind of just just sitting comfortably, you're breathing, you're focusing on your breath, you're allowing kind of the world to wash away, and you are bringing yourself to a meditative place. You're contemplating on a truth. You know, maybe God's love or something in Scripture. Now, some of you might be like, wait a second, J.D., this sounds a lot like mindfulness. <laughs> sounds a lot like I've been reading about that mindfulness stuff. And, and here it is. Mindfulness works. It does. Uh, it's true. Mindfulness, for those who don't know it, is, is a practice taken from Zen or from Buddhism. Basically, the idea is to just take space in your day to breathe, to bring yourself to a quiet place and to, to just focus on the breathing and to just be present, right? to become nothing as you become one with all, you know, this Zen idea. Uh, mindfulness works. And here's evidence. Um, <laughs> Apple named this app called Calm. Uh, their 2017 app of the year. This app, I downloaded it this week to check it out, teaches you how to meditate. Literally, like you turn it on and you see like the trees and like there's like, like brook sounds and then there's a voice that's like, relax your shoulders, close your eyes, imagine you're disappearing. You know, you're like, oh, man. It's just like a two minute thing. This is like, they've had millions of downloads. It was their app of 2017. Out of all the apps that they use, Apple said this is the one. People are hungry. Now, there's a difference between mindfulness and contemplation, and it's simply this. Mindfulness is about emptying yourself. Right? Contemplation, contemplative prayer, is about filling yourself. See, we go to that quiet place, we go to silence, and we don't just stay there. We don't disappear. In that silence, we ask God to meet us, and in that space, he reminds us who we are, who we really are, and whose we are, the fact that we belong to him. Right? When I practice silence, I try to wrap my mind around one sentence. I am God's beloved son. And I just run it in my mind. If thoughts come and distract, I just let it run over and I just sit there. Sometimes it's five minutes, sometimes it's longer. But somehow in that space, in that silence, there is this sacred moment that happens when God, it's not just me thinking it, but I can feel the presence of God within me bringing that truth to light. Alan Fadling, um, who's an author of a book called An Unhurried Life, and another book called An Unhurried Leader, he says this on the nature of silence. Silence presses us to pay attention to what we have been avoiding. Silence might wake us to unhealthy or unholy patterns in our actual lives, but silence might also open us to how the Spirit of God might wish to affirm the truths of Scripture in a more personal way. Silence might enable us to hear the voice of the one who calls us his beloved. Contemplative prayer is all about hearing God. And you can't hear God if you don't quiet your soul enough to listen. Be still and know that he is God. And in that space, in that silence, when we hear those truths, what ends up happening is that uh, this practice cultivates love. You realize how loved you are, and by knowing that fact, you're able to love others. Start with it. Two minutes, a minute, three minutes. Just... God, meet me here. Remind me who I am, what I am to you. You'll be surprised. The first practice is contemplative prayer. The second practice is gratitude. Everyone say gratitude. 
Now look, you can see the glass half full or half empty. Everyone knows this, right? You can see your life this way, your world that way. And sometimes it's so easy to get caught up in what you have and don't have, even when we have so much. I grew up in, uh, I grew up a lot of places. I was a military kid, and you guys know that. But the place where I lived kind of the longest uh, was in Killeen, Texas, which is near Fort Hood, Texas. And I went to this Southern Pentecostal church, and it was, it was, it was Pentecostal, and it was Southern. It was kind of the churches where, like, um, we never had rehearsal, right? Like, you never practiced music. Like, you just showed up, and you just played if you wanted to. And if you felt the Spirit, like, leading you to sing, like, by all means, come on up, grab a mic, you know? Uh, and I was, I was 14, 15 years old, you know? I would be in the middle of an altar call, and God would say, go up and sing. And I would go up and grab the mic, and I would tell the whole band, who were all adults way older than me, like, we're going to do this song. And they were like, praise the Lord. And it was great. Um, and I, my faith kind of grew out of there, right? And we had this one particular woman... Her name was Grandma Johnson, you know. Uh, she was a white Caucasian woman. She was grandma to me, so I call her that. And she was, she was so special, you know. She, she would pray over me and tell me every time she saw me, God has a special plan on your life, young man. I've been praying for you, you know, that kind of a thing. And let me tell you, we used to have these um, testimony services where we're kind of like open mics in the time of service. Uh, and and as, as pastors get really nervous with open mics. confessions of a pastor Uh, true right what are they going to say well grandma Johnson would take at least 20 minutes maybe 12 minutes 15 and she would thank God for everything oh man Lord I thank you for the air I breathe Lord I thank you for my body Lord I thank you for my cane Lord I thank you for the ground Lord I thank you for these people I thank you that on this date this time you saved my life 60 some years ago then 3 months later 60 some years ago and 3 months later 60 like you know what I'm saying like she was so adamant about thanking God, about every single thing. And, that, and, and there was something about her, you never, no one ever went around her and said, I, I felt horrible or worse, or I was depressed when I left her presence. You felt the opposite. You felt the opposite. You felt more filled with life and more filled with joy, because here's the thing, gratitude cultivates joy. The people who are the most thankful, even if they have nothing, you can go to, people, those of you who've gone on mission trips know this, You can go to third world countries and places where they have nothing. And when those people are practicing gratitude, they are more at peace and more joyful than we are. It's unreal. Grandma Johnson was that way. And that's the thing. Gratitude, it's not hard uh, to do. And and something they're like, oh, I'm thankful. I say that all the time. I'm, I'm thankful. No, 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 no. You have to intentionally practice this. What would it be like if at the end of your day or in the morning... You just spent five minutes and you wrote three things that you were thankful for. I'm thankful for this. I'm thankful for this. Try it for the next 10 days, for the next 15 days, for the next three days. See how it changes your attitude. You know? What if we kept on saying, I'm thankful for my kids, even though they drive me crazy. Lord, I'm thankful for my kids. Even though I'm losing sleep. Lord, I'm thankful for my kids. How would it change our heart? the joy that we have when we interact in those most difficult moments. See, happiness is a feeling that's fleeting, some people say, but joy is something that lasts. So we're cultivating that is through gratitude. John Milton, who's an English poet, he, he wrote Paradise Lost, and he writes this. He says that gratitude bestows reverence, allowing us to encounter everyday epiphanies, those transcendent moments of awe that change forever how we experience life and the world. I saw this happen in Grandma Johnson. I know it to be a fact. Gratitude is a sacred practice that cultivates joy. 
So we have contemplative prayer, we have gratitude. The third practice I want to offer to you is story. Story. Now there are many kinds of stories. What I mean specifically by that is engaging in the story of Jesus. Now, how many of you have read the Gospels? Great. How many of you have done a Bible study in the Gospels? How many of you have taught the Gospels? Yeah, a lot of us. Okay, we are like all gospeled out. We know the Bible. Right? I, w- I went to seminary and wrote papers and things like that and, you know, 15 pages on like one verse, like that kind of thing, right? Crazy stuff. Now, the interesting thing about the Gospels is that if you take away, very much like this immersing is talking about, the chapters and if you take away things, what you really find is a story. You find a story of people and you find a story of God meeting people where they are. And a lot of times, though, the Bible is like not very good with this story thing. It's almost as if they were like writing facts um, about like, uh, to, to kind of be like a snapshot. And so what I mean by that is like when someone says, oh, this person lived and then this person died and then they had a kid and then 40 years later, God brought them out and now they led the people out of Egypt. Like what? You should skip 40 years and two verses, man. Right? The element of story is like gone. And so here, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about in terms of snapshot. Let's look at this picture. All right, so this is JD, me, with my weight and all its glory, hanging there. Uh, it's okay to laugh. I've been talking about myself. It's fine. Um, I'm standing in front of the Japanese Sword Museum, looking awkwardly, right? And so if there was a biblical writer, he would have probably said, JD went to the Japanese Sword Museum and stood there awkwardly. Done. Right? First one. Now, what you don't see in this picture is the frustrated wife who took the picture. And you don't see how frustrated she really is because her husband, who's a major nerd, really had to go check out samurai swords because he's into samurais. And so on this record-breaking hot day in Japan, uh, he decided, her husband, to go to a museum that no one goes to. It's literally, it's tiny room, like the size of the drum set and the piano. It's just t- tiny. We got lost three times along the way. And uh, the reason why I'm standing there awkwardly is because I'm trying to um, think about in my mind, how am I going to make this up to Sarah? She looks so mad while she's taking this picture. <laughs> what are we going to eat dinner for dinner in Tokyo that will make her happy? Because uh, uh, while I was nerding out looking at these samurai swords, all she did was um, stand in front of the AC trying not to pass out from dehydration. Story. Right? When we read through the Gospels, you read about the woman who had the issue of blood for 12 years. You read about her and how she came through the crowd and came to Jesus. Woman of, you know, woman had the issue of blood for 12 years. She came to the crowd, touched Jesus' hand. Oh, Jesus says, who touched me? Lord, who touched you? Story, blah, 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 done. What you don't understand is 12 years this woman was suffering. 12 years she was unclean according to Jewish standards, which meant that she could not come into the city. Have you thought about that? Well, how was she walking in? You know, according to Jewish tradition, people who were unclean, who had leprosy or some kind of issue of blood or something, had to come in and had to scream, unclean, 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 so that people could move out of the way to not be contaminated. So you imagine this woman who for 12 years had been isolated from her family and her friends. Maybe as she went through that crowd, she saw some of them for the very first time. Maybe she's yelling unclean. Maybe she's not, Right? But she's crawling on the ground, desperate to get to Jesus. The crowds are pressing in. And she reaches and she just, you know, does she pull like a kid? 
Does she just graze as she falls? Story. What happens when we engage with the story of God is that we cultivate a Christian memory. This record is essentially the story of God's love meeting people where they're at. And when we read about that, when we engage in it, all of a sudden we remember, hey, God did that for me 10 years ago. God did that for my family. God did that for my friend. That's why we ran out of these, I'm sure. (laughs) And we're going to have more. I really want you to encourage you to do this. I'm committing myself to do it. I'm going to be doing this for eight weeks. They've made it so easy. There's a Bible reading plan. It's like split up to daily pages. It's like nine to 12 pages per day. And look, there's no chapter markers. There's nothing. It's just the story of God. What would it look like if we engaged the story of God over the next eight weeks? So the third practice is story. Story cultivates hope because it stimulates our memories and we read about how God moved in people's life. Now the fourth and last practice is rest. Now rest is such a huge part of spiritual life, right? We can't just keep going all the time. Even God rested after he created the world. Music is beautiful because of rest. Can you imagine music that had no rest? It would be nonstop noise. Okay? Better yet, imagine being in a relationship with someone who just talked all the time. They just kept talking. There was no space in what they said. They just kept talking. They just couldn't, it didn't matter what they were talking about, but this is what they did all the time, around you all the time. Nonstop noise. You go crazy. What's funny is that some, some of you guys are looking at your family members like, he's talking about you. <laughs> you know, what's so comical though is that our spiritual lives and our lives in general can be that way. When we hurry, 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 and we never stop, it's like you just don't even have time to breathe. Now, in the Bible, they talked about the idea of rest as Sabbath. Right? God rested on the seventh day. He made his people have a whole day where they reconnected. And according to Jewish tradition, Sabbath is about connecting to yourself, to your family, to your friends, and with God. It involved in eating and playing and resting. And when Abraham uh, Joshua Heschel, who was a rabbi and Jewish theologian and philosopher in his book, called the Sabbath, this is what he writes. He says, the Sabbath is the presence of God in the world open to the soul of man. That man is humanity man, the Hebrew word Adam, Adama. God is not in things of space, but in moments of time. This is what he also writes. He says, there is a realm of time where the goal is is not to have, but to be. Not to own, but to give. Not to control, but to share. Not to subdue, but to be in accord. Life goes wrong when the control of space, the acquisition of things of space, becomes our sole concern. Sabbath teaches us that it is enough, that we are enough. It doesn't have to be some crazy spiritual practices. I'm going to share what I do for Sabbath, one of the things. Every Friday, I picked this up from um, Barb and Arvid Grinbergs. I lived with them for three months when I first came here. And they've been doing this for I don't know how long, but it was such a wonderful thing that, that Sarah and I chose it. Every Friday night, pizza and movie night. We get the same pizza from Papa Murphy's, and we choose a movie, usually a wine, and we choose dessert. Every single week. That is sacred time. Right? It was so, it's so much fun. When I lived with Barb and Arvid, it was so, oh, what movie are you going to watch? Our movie, we found out that Arvid and I are into the really cool movies. Obviously, I'm biased. <laughs> Our wives were into the more like, oh, you know, heartfelt, sappy, artistic movies. But it's a form of rest. Sarah and I do it every week. 
We might be having the hardest week. It might be Tuesday, and Elise might be teething, and we're like, yo, Friday is coming. Papa Murphy's, what are you going to watch? Are we doing a cab Merlot? Like, what are, we, what are we doing? What dessert are we having? It's a form of rest. Rest cultivates peace. It helps us to breathe. And in that space, we enter into a rhythm where God says, what you're doing is enough. You're enough. Don't be defined by that. So I offer four practices to you this morning. Contemplative prayer, gratitude, story, and rest. And the question is simple. Where are you this morning? What is God calling you to? And what are you looking to cultivate? Love, joy, hope, peace? I honestly believe, I, I, I really believe this stuff, that this Christian faith isn't meant for just some future and eternity. It's meant to transform who I am now, to be my best self, my truest self. And God has this divine dance where he says, I'll change you, but there's some things you've got to create space in, something you've got to do every day. The training, the discipline. It seems so unpopular, but really what you're doing is just spending time with the holy presence of God. Being transformed by love. I'm going to read one passage of scripture and I'll pray for you. And I just want you to hear this. This is from Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. Uh, This is the message translation. Hear these words. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. As we offer our lives and create spaces in our daily rhythms, may the power of God teach us, transform us, so that we can live freely and lightly. Pray with me. Father in heaven, I'm so grateful. Um, for all these dear brothers and sisters and friends who've gathered here. I'm so grateful for the ways you love them, for the ways you call them. And you desire for them to flourish, to thrive, to have life and life everlasting, streams of water that flow from their souls, bringing life to everyone and anyone it touches. God, that is your promise for us. It's the resurrection power of Christ being made in the parent in jars of clay. And so God, help us, help our unbelief, help our tired rhythms. Meet us where you are and give us life. Help us to know that change is possible because of you. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.